morning, Grinders. Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD. You want to follow me on Twitter? And it's Monday. So, you know what we do on Mondays? We bring in James McCool, the co author, with me on the theory of daily fantasy sports. It's a 15 hour audio DFS masterclass that you can pick up at theoryofdfs.com. Mondays with McCool. Rise and shine, everyone in the chat room. I see Suki Sings here. Usual played a 5-3 Philadelphia Atlantic stack on Sunday and scored only 34 points. I didn't try to play on Sunday, but uh, but uh, get him again today. Doug Montgomery's here. Happy, happy Monday. Good morning. Good morning, Matt Mears, Daniel Hutchins, Nerdy Tenor in the chat joining us as well. I, 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 Sundays I'm not playing anymore. I mean, pretty much Sunday, unless there's going to be NFL uh, or, or soccer or something, probably not, but uh but James, I did play on, uh, on on Saturday night. MMA was a pay-per-view card. And uh, it was the first round of the MMA World Championship, whatever the hell. Yeah. So like like so what they're doing for MMA, obviously they they uh don't want to spend that much money on a live final for, for MMA. So they're not not having a hundred people there and they're plus ones and renting out a huge place and all that type of stuff. So there were qualifiers into a for 70 qualifiers. And then in round one, which was on Saturday, they're going to knock down 70 to 30. And then on the next pay-per-view card on July 2nd, they're going to knock 30 down to 10. And then those 10 go to Dallas for UFC 277 and whatever they do that weekend and whatever, you know, you get the, the trip and the whatever, and whatever the hell they do. Uh, Obviously, I, I I put in you know to qualify. I got one. I got one entry, and uh, I mean I, I'll, I'll take shots sometimes. I know I'm not a live final person, but it's like I I I think I have an edge in MMA. Why don't I Why don't I take some shots at MMA? And uh, so in this in this in this past round, uh, top thirty advanced, and I sort of advanced. So uh, what I what I what I did. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll explain, I'll explain the, the, the journey to this. Uh, basically it was a six way tie for 27th. So that's 32 people. And it's not, and apparently it's not like golf where it's like top 30 and ties. It's like, no, it's just the top 30. So they will be running next, this coming card on a fight night card, a six man tiebreaker top oh, four yeah. go yeah. to go to the top the 30. And, uh, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be shocked if they have to run another tiebreaker also after that just by the fact of what type of lineup that all six of us played it's it wouldn't completely shock me James it wouldn't be not so shocking if all six of us had the same lineup on Saturday <laughs> now why what now James why would that be a case I was actually kind of shocked that out of the 70 competitors and it's 70 entries. Some people have multiple entries. Yeah. I was kind of, I was a little bit shocked that this lineup only was a six way tie. Like only six people had it. Yeah. I was expecting more because this lineup was the highest cumulative ownership lineup with the highest money line value <laughs> that stacked one of the two round fights. Okay. What I was thinking, James, this is, this is, uh, and I had a conversation with someone else that was in actually Pimple Popper MD. I was, I had a conversation with, uh, because he's in there also, uh, about whether or not to play this line. Because, like, basically, we both said, like, this seems like the obvious, like, highest floor money line value ownership lineup, like, in a contest where it's functionally a double, right? Top 30 out of 70, right? It's not a 50-50. That would be 35 out of 70, 30 out of 70. So your goal is to just optimize for the, to get beat half the field pretty much. And in MMA DFS, it's typically stacking the main event and then that the four fighters combined that have the best line value for their price. Mm-hmm. Like the pricing mm-hmm. comes out on Sunday night or Monday and then the lines move. And a fighter that, you know, was originally minus 115 is now minus 160 at 8,200. It's like, okay, they should be 8,600. Steve Garcia was uh, was 8,300, 8, 8,400, 
He ended up as a minus 180 favorite. Liang Na ended up as the favorite in this fight, even though she lost. She was originally lined as the underdog plus 130. So that's why she was 7,600. And then Shevchenko was the hugest favorite on the slate. And then Prochaska and Tejero was the main event. And like, that's that's a very simple way. And also it's the most owned lineup. Like mm-hmm. commutative The problem with this lineup for GPP purposes is that you can't have six winners in your lineup because you're stacking the main event. It, there's a very outlier main event that the loser scored 106 points, but typically that won't happen. But you're guaranteeing yourself getting the winner of the main event, which is typically a hundred plus point score. And then typically you need four winners to, to, to win in a double, typically. Some, sometimes sometimes it's lower, sometimes it's higher. But if you can get four wins, no matter really even what the score is, even a 70-point win, so you could typically survive one loser. Mm-hmm. In a, you, could, you could survive four, two losers, right? With one of them being the main event loser because you have both of them in your lineup. Because of Tejera outperforming as a loser, because that was a five-round fight with tons of action, like this lineup after Garcia Na lost that huge ownership, I was like, I'm, I'm dead, right? But the thing is, in these types of contests, like I was shocked to see so few people play this type of lineup. Uh, I saw some people stack the other fight, the Shevchenko-Santos fight, mm-hmm. which I got also because that fight was more likely to go longer. So Santos, even in a loss, may score 40 or 50 points. And that is right. You're not looking to get coming first. But it was kind of shocking to see that because it seems like a lot, a lot of the people that were in this contest, or I, I this is what this is my, my assumption is, James, that a lot of people in this contest are more GPP-oriented players that don't play cash games in mm-hmm. MMA. And it's not like I really play cash games in MMA, but I play cash games in other sports. And a lot of them played it like it was a GPP, but that kind of, you fail the fundamental con- conceptual differences between cash games and GPPs. Like I absolutely love these formats. I love when DraftKings runs this kind of stuff because it is, it's a hybrid contest, right? Where like the first three runs of it, if it's like four iterations, first three runs are cash games where you're just like beat half the field, go on to the next one because because you don't win anything win anything by taking first in this one it doesn't matter so get through get through get through and if you have multiple lineups you know like i know that uh the brian gestures he had how, how many entries he have in this i, I know he had at least four. four yeah so he has four and then there's that other layer of like oh well am i just gonna play am i gonna run a train of four of the same lineup and push that across or am i gonna try to diversify and just try to get a couple across like I think these formats are really, really cool. And they do, like, like you said, there's, there's, you have to employ the fundamental difference between a cash game lineup and a GPP lineup in order to succeed. I, I think that these contests are brilliant. I think they're awesome. Right, because the first round is functionally a double up. The second round is functionally a triple up. Mm-hmm. And the third, and the, the final is a 10-man GPP, a 10-man yep. progressive payout structure contest. The point is, is that whenever you look at a contest, okay, I know it's saying cash games versus GPPs, but it's really progressive payout formats, payout structures, and non-progressive payout structures, or less progressive. Because progressive means 10th gets 10,000, 9th gets 20,000, it goes up. And typically, in large field GPPs, especially any GPP, it's a hockey stick kind of type of thing. Once you get to the 10th, it kind of goes up, 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 up. But what is the, what does the distribution look like for a double up? It's zero and then a big and then a step. And then it's ten dollars and then it's ten dollars all the way to the there's, there's no more progression anymore. Mm-hmm. So like you have to weigh the upside versus downside in the contests that you play. So in a cat in a cash game set, in a double up setting, which is what this contest is, what does leverage gain you? Hardly anything. Hardly anything. What by having more leverage, where's the downside? Like what's the upside risk versus the downside risk? So like in GPPs in a progressive payout structure, you want leverage. You want to be different, right? You want to sacrifice projection. You want to sacrifice win probability of the fighters. And yeah, because if 
If you if you if Na is sixty five percent owned and you play Silvana Gomez Juarez her opponent at whatever you know eight percent whatever she was I, I, in this contest she was seven percent. So that difference sixty five versus seven. If you're right, how how much more do you win? Well, coming in first, this person that came in first didn't win any more than the person that came in 26th, at least. I was going to say, especially in this contest, literally nothing more. Right. Nothing more. Okay, but what happens if Na wins? And, like, let's say the scores are reversed. I'm using this person as an example. I'm not looking to call people. I don't even know who this is. Uh, But if you take a look, Gomez Juarez scored 13060. Na scored... 1.87 because the fight ended at at, at 60 seconds in or whatever. Uh, Let's say that score was reversed. Let's say Na got a submission first round, whatever. And, and Gomez Juarez scored two points and Na scored 103. Well, that's, that that's a hundred point difference up and down of your score. So this guy would have scored 540 instead. Right. And then 65% of the lineups in the, in the contest have an extra 100 points. Well, look at my lineup, which was tied for 27th. If I had 100 more points in my lineup because of not, I would end up with 558. He would lose 100 points and end up with 540. Wouldn't to qualify, came in past, wouldn't to come in the top 30. So what was the point of this? Like what, like, like, if one of these things, if a 65% owned fighter wins and you have their opponent at 7%, what happens when you're right? Oh, you come in first in a contest that you only need to come in the top 30. What happens when you're wrong? You're dead. Like you, yeah. you, you, 65% of your opponents have 100 points that you do not have. Right? And then he also played Mahashate, 4% owned against the second highest owned non-main event fighter on the slate, right? You look at my lineup for line value, 52%. So if either of them, let's say, if either of them win and put up, let's say the scores are reversed. If Garcia would have won instead of Mahashate, he's dead. And if Mahashate wins, he comes in first, which is no different than 26. So it's not a matter of like, well, what happens if he gets one of them right? He's still dead because the other one is still... the. 50% 50% of the field have, have those points that he doesn't have. Now, in GPPs, this is exactly what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Right? That's the whole concept of leverage. Right, yeah, exactly. But the difference between coming in 30th and coming in first doesn't mean anything. So when people want to want to play different for contests with these type of structures, the, you have so much downside and not that much upside. And now, on yeah. the other hand, on in GPPs, if you were to play this line like this lineup, if you were to play this in in literally any GPP, like I'm not even talking about the large field. Like if you played at a hundred man, if this was a seventy man contest that was progressively paid out, this would be the worst lineup that you could make. Like it's literally the worst. Li- I would look at this contest and go, if you paid, you know, it's a hundred thousand a first, and just like it was a live final, like I, you would be dumb. You'd be an idiot to play this lineup. Right, the most owned lineup with a stack. You can't get six wins. Like, there's no chance you would. Yeah. And that's only the byproduct of the payout structure. Yep. Yeah, I, there, there's a reason why whenever anybody asks, because I, I get asked specifically in NFL season, right? I'll get asked like, oh, well, you know, what do you do for cash games? And I'm like, I literally play the highest owned possible lineup that I can find. Like the highest cumulative ownership lineup. I, you don't even need projection to build cash games for most sports like well, you know, we maybe, need ownership projections you need ownership projections you don't need performance projections like you don't need to be able to project uh, like the performance of a player in order to do well in cash games you you literally just need to say what is the highest possible own lineup that i can make and sometimes that's a little bit harder right like in nfl it's really easy i think and um in NBA, it's pretty easy. In baseball, it's really, really hard to, to do it because ownership is pretty spread out. But like in NFL, NBA, where there's a lot of ownership condensation on specific players and like you can kind of figure out, oh, well, this is going to be the lineup. You have like six guys out of the lineup that are like, 
th- these guys are going to be owned. There's a 3K player who's starting an NBA. He's going to be there. You know, there's Giannis, who's the only stud on the slate. He's going to be there. You can pretty much look out six guys. And the rest of it is just plug and play based on, you know, whatever. Uh, but you don't, you don't need to be able to project players. You just need to be able to project ownership. And the reason for that is this lineup that you played with a 65%, a 52%, a 51%, an 87%, and a 62%, right? Like if all of those guys do badly, it is still 60% of the field that has those guys. There's still even a chance if all of those guys lose of you coming close to the cash line cash line with your last guy. Right. It's quite possible this lineup. I mean, I, I, I could, I could probably do some type of simulation. It's possible. I'm not saying it's likely, but it's possible that if, if to share a one, with a hundred point, like he won early in the first round at, at 34% owned. And then that means Prochaska lost. If Shevchenko lost to Santos, if Della Madalena lost to Emiev and Garcia and Na lost to, to, to their opponents, that this lineup with Teixeira's score still comes in the top, top, top 30. It's, it, it's, it, still, it it's still possible because not many people have the opponents of all of these like Santos would be the problem because Santos is 25% owned, but like Emiev is like all these guys are single digit owned and most of them are not in the same lineups as mm-hmm. people. So it's like, dude, there are going to be a lot of lineups that literally only have one winner. Yep. So think Just about have one winner and then you you have the highest scoring winner. Yeah. There you go. That now you qualified. And, right. and only, because NFL, the, only because of the sharing of like, this goes back to in the theory of daily fantasy sports, the fundamental concept of relative value, mm-hmm. which is a mm-hmm. term I made up just to just how much value a player has to your lineup is not just a byproduct of the points they score, but on the ownership by what, how many people in the field have those points also. So by doing that in a, in a contest where you do not get rewarded progressively, there's no, there's, there's no downside. Like having points that other people have is not, is not bad. No, it's functionally a good thing in cash games. Right. It's, like, func- it's functionally a lo- lower variance thing. Like if, if the, the opposite, sometimes people think the opposite. Sometimes I hear people sometimes in cash games, and this happens more at the higher stakes. Like when you mentioned play the highest own lineup, that's something that probably is profitable I, I'm almost definitely profitable at low stakes. It is. Yeah, it is. Anything at high, sta- at high stakes, it isn't. I can tell you that. I believe that. I believe that. Right. Because high stakes, people that like, uh, you're looking to exploit people that play these types of lineups because right. it's like, well, this is the highest owned lineup, but I don't agree with necessarily with this guy being a little bit higher than that guy. I think my lineup with the 2v2 wins more often than this lineup based on projection, based on some measure correlation differences or whatever like that uh that you'd rather play that lineup and if you're going to go in and you're going to constantly play this type of lineup in the high stakes you're going to get beat by better better players you're not you're not going to lose that much right it's not like it's the type of thing where you're going to get crushed it's like no you're just going to lose out to the rake well and the big thing that i always I, i always explain it like this when you build a lineup that is looking to maximize cumulative ownership. And you can even, you can optimize on ownership if you want to. I used to do that. The, the reason why you're doing it in, in cash games and specifically in like the larger sports, because you, you do it for the main sports. You don't really do it for the niche sports, but for NBA, NFL, MLB, stuff like that. The reason why it works is because if you are on, if, if you're on an ownership that has a cumulative ownership around, or if you're on a lineup that has a cumulative ownership of around 50% on average, something like this lineup, right? Where you have one guy under 50% owned here. That means that it is no longer on you to be right. It's on the people who faded the high on players to be right. So like it completely removes you from the equation of cashing. At this point, they have to prove that they are smarter than the field they are smarter than the cumulative ownership lineup and they are able to choose underdogs, right? Like lower owned players. They're able to hit on their underdogs more often than the favorites. So 
that that's the entire thesis behind why you play high cumulative ownership lineups and cash games um, in the large sports. And I agree that in high stakes stuff, you know, if you're playing two fifties or five hundreds or or thousand dollar head to heads or whatever, you're constantly going up against people who are doing like blender. If I play you in high stakes for a month, right? Like you're going to notice the trends of the way that I'm building lineups in the same way that you said for this contest, like, the, the people who you played against, who you duped with your lineup, you said that you wouldn't be surprised if there was another large tie in the in tiebreaker. Tie because anyone that's saw. building lineups this way is most likely, because what's going to happen? Right. They're probably like James, what's, it's going to be a game of chicken. I, I'm, ass, I'm assuming, I mean, I haven't seen, I haven't seen the card coming up. It's a 14 fight card. So there, there, there's more likelihood of being, you know, maybe maybe there's a two v two that is close or something like that. That we won't get some line value moves, but like it's just it's just it's 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 thinking in terms of anyone that built their lineups this way for this contest is most likely thinking in those terms for the next contest, and it becomes a chicken game. Yeah, of like of, of do I want to do this again and risk getting duped, or do I want to be different and risk not getting duped? Yeah, I but, love that, that. but when you're paying for it, when you're advancing for it at six, like this is this, this is I, I mentioned the conversation I had with Pimple Popper. I don't know his real name. I'll call him Pimple Popper. Whatever, yeah. He's a dermatologist. That's why he's called that. Uh, when I when I saw that that was like that was to me the obvious lineup if you were going to play like a cash game lineup. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I said I, I emailed my DK VIP person who never even got back to but someone but someone from support got back to pimple popper and i said well what happens if there's a i i just wanted to know i assumed that more likely than not we you'd advance on a tie right i but i didn't know maybe there'd be like well if there's a tie for 30th we're just not, it's not like golf the top 30 in ties you'd look and they go oh 27th place was tied too many times we're just going to cut it off at 26 right? So if the, if the ties didn't qualify, I wanted to know that. And I wanted to know what happened with the, with the, if the, all the ties, let's say they said all the ties qualify. Well, that means if, if, if I think this lineup, which I don't have up on the screen, if I think this lineup uh, is going to be duped, no matter how many times I think it's going to be duped, I should be more likely to play it because as long yeah. as, as long as one of our, of the, of the train of people that played the lineup, hits 30th place, I advance, mm-hmm. right? So even if it's a 30th through 55th place, we're all going, we're, we're all going around too, right? Now, if it's, you didn't, then I'd be like, now, now I'm more likely to not play this line. Now it's yeah. like, okay, maybe I play a very similar lineup, but I just change one guy. I go, yeah. well, I'm not going to play, I'm not going to stack the main event. I'm just going to play one of them and play Malcoon or something, play whatever, someone else. So I can get six wins. Uh, if they told me about the tiebreaker thing, I probably would have still played this this lineup. Now, the thing is, is that now that we know that six people played it and four advanced, that becomes even better than a double-up style contest. So mm-hmm. what what incentive do I have to not play the the line value optimal lineup with the with the, with the with the main event stack? Like what yeah. like it, if you differ from that four out of six and are wrong, and let's say the other, let's say an exaggeration, let's say you knew that if I, if I knew that my five opponents were going to play that lineup exactly, let's say I knew that exactly. Like if I played that lineup, then basically DraftKings is forced to run another tiebreaker the net following week. But if I differ even by one and I'm right, I advance and then they have to play a four out of five tiebreaker. If I'm wrong. Eventually with this, with this, it goes down to the path of somebody else. Like you, you did it first. And then now it's a best four out of five the next week. And then somebody else does it. And then there's no reason to do anything else because as long as two people lose, right. As long as one person deviates mm-hmm. and then they both lose mm-hmm. right but it's saying but this would be much different for instance if let's say we all tied for 30 and it's now a six-man tiebreaker with the only one going through 
now, now, now I don't have, now none of this dynamic works anymore because no one would be playing. Like it goes from at four out of six advancing. Is everyone going to play this lineup? To if one out of six advances, that no one would dare play this line. It goes that right. dramatically. Even if it was top two out of six, I would probably not play mm-hmm. a stacked lineup. I would probably play a line value li- lineup that only played one main event fighter yeah. and just let's see if I, I want to be able to get six wins t- mm-hmm. type of lineup. And then if people are stacking, then so be it. But like, let's say it was five out of six. Like what? What do I gain by not playing the lineup that, dude, I hope there, I'm, I almost, if, if they were paying four, five out of six advance, I'd almost hope I was duped. Yeah. Right. To me, you would I would want, you'd want one person to be the odd man out right. and try to beat them. Right. Because what's the worst case scenario in that scenario? Like, let's say five, five out of six, to use the extreme example, five out of six advance and one person deviates. And I play the lineup with four other people that play the same line. Okay. So look from my point of view, if that if that person uh, has a better lineup than the five of us, he goes through and then we play a best three out of five, right? Because there's there's four spots. We play a best three out of five. Uh, in the better case scenario, all five of us go through to another tiebreaker four out of five, and that guy. That guy goes that like in either way, like it's it comes down to am I going to be playing next week three out of five or four out of five? That's that those are the only two two options there. But the person that deviates is you're either going to go through on everyone to round three to round two, or you're gonna are you going to drop off? Yep. But the 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 difference between moving on is not is it worth that risk? I don't, I don't, to me personally, I don't think so. it's not, it's not, prog- it's not progressively paid out enough that it's worth the risk. Yet, if it was a one out of six, then if it was, if what they, I, do you think what they should do is, I'm trying to think of, is there a way for them to run like one, like a head to head matrix or, like Marsh Madness, but for a qualifier ticket. Yeah, yeah. Like there's going to be two more cards, and they uh, uh, and they run, no, run two three mans. No, that I think that would be better. They they randomly put. I mean, you have to randomly put two three mans. Mm-hmm. Or or no no or run the six or no. This is what no, no, I think. This is what they should do. If 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 they want if they want the to make sure that there weren't going to be a million ties in six ties run the six man have first only the first place qualify or the first two spots make it the only two spots go to round three and do it two weeks in a row and to do it two weeks in a row right and then those two go through and then the following week you have and no Two go through, and the bottom leaves. Yeah, and something like that, and then you or and then you run a head to head or a three man for the last, but like some combination of the two, where you're not when when you're offering some more incentive to come in past the fiftieth percentile. Yeah, because right now all it is like even me, I'm I'm super accepting of risk in GPPs and like the way that I even play contests like this. Um, I still like I I make assumptions about the way that I need to be playing pretty heavily. But even me, I would be like, yeah, dupe me, bro. Daniel Hutchins in the chat says, I mean, he, he backing me up. I mean, I essentially explained what he just said with four out of six advancing uses, you lose two thirds of your equity when you lose. So you'd be crazy to deviate from the optimal. Yeah. There, there's just no way I, there, there's no way. Um, I, I think That's why that, I said it's uh, not, it will not be nuts. I, I, maybe I should ask. Maybe I, I, I or, or get Pimple Popper to ask. He got a response of what happens if they run a tiebreaker and we all sell six of us tied twice and they do it the next week. Like, what are you going to do? Right. All right. At, at, you have to point. put us in round. Two. I mean, what? <laughs> what? They should have thought of this before. I mean, they, you have to think of this. But I mean, if you played DFS, you'd have to think of this beforehand. 
Yeah, I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how many people are playing DFS on on that side, but um, I, I mean, I digress. Uh, I think that the the most elegant solution to it, I think, is the um, the top two advance, the middle two go on to a head to head, and the last two are kicked on. Yeah. No, there's four spots. There's four spots. Okay, so so the top two advance, uh, the middle. And then the next three advance for the next one. And then the last I one. I mean, you get that out. same problem. I, mean, I think you still get the same problem. Yeah, there's there's not really a good solution here. Well, I mean, I, I think I think it would be better if three out of six, like instead of making it four out of six advance, you make three out of six advance. And then the last three. Ooh, play, yeah. And then, play, okay, yeah, yeah. So you'll you'll do, so for this this next week, for the first one, you would play a double up, right? right. Play, 50, play 50. a 50-50. Yeah, you'd play 50-50, and then the next week you'd play a triple up, and you'd play a three-man, right. and then the winner would then – that, that, that's best. That's right. That's right. See, but even in a 50-50, I mean, then you st- you're still more likely to play. I'm still I, playing. All, all we have to do is hope, or they or DraftKings has to hope, that the card, the card coming up has 14 fights, and the line value optimal lineup doesn't isn't – like they basically have to hope that like there's no really weird like line switching like that right. they have to hope that there's no line flip right they, right it's, it's, this past card it just it was it was a weird card with number one you have two five round fights mm-hmm. only eleven fights on the card right a lot of times when you have two five rounders we're playing a 14, 15 fight card mm-hmm. right so it's 11, 11 fights on the card two of them are five rounders uh and uh four of the fights offered where there were there were two fights where the underdog literally turned into the favorite and then two favorites that turned into even much bigger favorites and they based on their price so it's like who are you playing in your lineup other than these these like like you're not playing any of these people other than those people can i ask you a question really quick sure for for leaning now Right, like for the for the underdog to turn you a favorite. Um, how many points of ownership do you think that that added to her in the large field? So she was she was forty two percent owned in in the large field contest. How much do you think that her going from an underdog to a favorite added in ownership? Do you think it was like ten to forty? No, meaning was, she would have she been was, ten she, percent. Dude, owned? dude, she was she was gonna she was gonna be high owned even if she was an underdog. That's what I'm asking. That's what I'm asking. How, how much do you it, think it, it didn't affect it? As, no, it didn't. I had her as under-owned even at that number. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, that, that's what I'm asking. Because I'm trying to... She's She ended up technically $600 underpriced, which is insane for MMA DFS. And yeah. it's not only that her money line moved, she was like plus 170 inside the distance yeah, as a yeah, dog. Like that, yeah. that, that fight, that female fight was the most likely, as likely to finish inside the distance as the main event, whichever yeah. which lasted five rounds, but everyone thought that would be over quick. So it's like that fight was like, if, if you switched the pricing on the fighters, like completely where Na was 8,600 and Gomez Juarez was 7,600 mm-hmm. at closing, they both would have been efficiently Okay. Right now, would not at eighty six hundred, she would have been like probably like eighteen percent owned, and Gomez Juarez, who had a plus one eighty inside the distance line, also probably would have been like twenty nine thirty percent owned because of the price difference. So, like even at forty percent owned in large field GPP, I'd I'd more of her because she was the most underpriced. She was under owned because yeah. it's not just not, for cash games. Like you care more about the money line win probability than the than the scoring mm-hmm. probability but in gpps you, you care more about it's it's not it's if if, there, if it's a fight like for instance the the whaley uh you want your j check fight yeah that line moved also whaley opened at like minus 190 and she came she closed at like minus 160 mm-hmm. and at 8800 like whaley's inside the distance was 340 and Joanna was like 800. Like that fight was the most likely to go the distance, which it didn't. Yeah. It ended in round two. Uh, 
yo, but Joanna, so Joanna was the line value like at 7,400, but she was only owned like 23%. She wasn't owned like 35%. Why? Because her inside the distance line is, is poor. Yeah. Right. Cause yeah. it's like, Oh yeah. Joanna wins and scores 75 points. Like for GPPs, that's just not yeah. probably not going to be good enough, but for cash games, that's fine. So like if you were to play Joanna in cash games for the line value and the likelihood of going the distance, I, I got, I completely got that. Sure. Yeah. But in GPP, you're not going to see the ownership go as far based on that money line move because the, the, the inside the distance lines are, are poor for the fight to begin with. Mm-hmm. It just so happened in the Na fight, like she flipped to be the favorite and she had and like the fourth split, highest yeah. ITD line on the entire slate to begin with, even if she was the underdog. Yeah. Okay, cool. Because I'm just, that's, I, I'm trying to, to take an info on that for, for building up ownership on my own because I, I don't, as usual, I am challenging myself to do something that I have not done before. Uh, and I'm taking like a couple different baseline stuff. I'm aggregating from only a couple sources, not a whole bunch, but then also trying to apply a bunch of globals to it to, to make it work. Um, I, the, the main one that I whiffed on, I think was, who did I have projected high that just was not? I think it was Jake Matthews. I don't yeah, know. I think, anyway. Yeah, people overprojected his ownership. Yeah. Well, it was hard. I, I had him at like I had him at like twenty two. I had him as a bad play, but no, he closed. No, no, no. He closed no, as no, the only favorite. No, only because I was projecting his ownership so high. I mean, like I, I had him projected as a bad leverage play because oh. I had his ownership projected too high. So, like that's that that's kind of the hard thing I think algorithmically is sometimes you have these guys who like at seventy seven hundred and as the favorite like he's probably a pretty good play from like a very general point of view. But if you right. project him at 37% ownership, it's like, yeah, then bet. it's the same thing for Jack Della Maddalena. Like I thought yeah. fine for cash, his line moved so much, but the inside the distance line and at 39% ownership mm-hmm. is a hundred plus point probability wasn't high enough to warrant that. Of course he got there, but yeah, that's probabilities. Yeah. And, and I had him under, projected i had him projected 27 percent. so i'm just i'm just trying to to get that teed in like i said before um i i feel that i was directionally right but i was not accurate enough for sure i also did a thread yesterday on twitter going through the lineups on an 11 fight card uh there were lineups there were they were they, there were several lineups that were duplicated over 200 times they were they were like 2.2% of the total entries in the contest. That's a lot. That's a lot of the field. That's a lot. 7.6% of the field were lineups that were duplicated 100 plus times. How many times, Jordan, have we said that there's a lot of dead money in the large field contests? Yeah. And th- this is what we mean. Right. These lineups, this is 10% of the field, nearly 10% of the field. Those are dead lineups. Those, those are just bad. Uh, for all intents and purposes, it's, I, I've not, I, I don't believe, I mean, I haven't run, I do not believe there's any lineup that is duplicated more than 20 times that can be profitable. Profitable in a short term. Yeah, long okay. I'm not yeah. talking about long. I'm talking about from an EV perspective. I'm not well, saying, yeah, that. you played one lineup and you and you, you split and you got $8,000. Yeah, of course, you could be profitable in one slate, but mm-hmm. playing lineups that are duplicated 20 times, I don't know if you could find one that if you simulated it out that you would be profitable. Okay. No, no. I, the, the, the payouts are not flat enough. You're, you're just going to get eaten alive by rate. Right. right. Like, now, now, that exists for lineups that are duplicated 10 times and 5 times also, but at 20... I almost see like, if you told me that this lineup was going to be duplicated 20 times, I would just exit it. There's no chance. I mean, I consider those to be complete mistakes. Mm-hmm. Okay. 33.8% of the contest was lineups that were duplicated 20 times. So even if we are to say, okay, maybe there's a feasible lineup duped 20 times, it can be profitable long-term. Let's just give the benefit of that. Right. Maybe. And we're just... We're just saying that lineups duped 50 plus times are lineups that are just complete. 
complete. Right, if we say 50 is the cutoff, that, that covers the more than the rake. That is more than the rake in large field. Right. You're, you're playing rake-free so long as your lineup is not duped 50-plus times. You're right. playing rake-free. Right. And, but, and if, if we are going to say 20-plus times, like, you should be playing MMA DFS always. I, I, I would say, I would, for this type of contest, it's 10-plus. I mean, you could, there are, it depends on the slate, but even at, like, I gave the benefit of the doubt for 20-plus. I, I, think, I think it's five, truthfully, on most slates, I think it's five plus, right? Uh, my, my goal making lineups is to make lineups that have high win probabilities that are duplicated less than five times. Mm-hmm. That's my, when I get uniques, I get uniques, but my, I, I prefer uniques that have high win probability, right? But I'll settle for two to four, right? The, the lineups that are duped two, three, four times. I, I don't, I don't mind that. So I to me, yeah. To me, five plus anything past five, anything five or, or over, I'm I'm if I'm playing a lineup like that, it was it was because of a calculation error or a trimming error or something. I I don't mean to. They cut yeah, that's the cost of doing business. Sixty-eight point one percent were duplicated five or more times. Because it's an eleven fight card and it's hard, it's hard to be harder to be unique. But then I, I go through this and uh, 31.9% of entries were duplicated under five times, obviously. Just 11.9% were unique. About 70% of the entries total in the contest were 49.5 or more in salary, but only 3.9% of them were unique. Look how drastic that is. Can, can you find unique set or 49.5 plus? Yes. And they're to me, they're, they're valuable. But if you're not, if you're going to go in, I mean, I saw, I saw people building lineups saying, oh, I'm building five lineups with a large field GPP. And I look at their lineups. It's like 49.9, 50,000, 50,000, 49.8, 49. I was like, why are you doing this? Right. And then, then on top of it, like some of their lineups are like four of the chalkies people on the slate. And I'm like, like, what, what, what are you like trying one to of, one, of their, one of their five lineups is the one that you played in that live final qualifier. Right. Or, right. Something <laughs> like that. <laughs> They're like, why are you playing this? You can't, you literally cannot place better than like 30th percentile. You, you literally cannot place better than that without lying. Right. And then uh, what I did, James, is I, I separated the 150 matches. Okay. Because we're, we're going to make a general, I'm not saying everyone that plays 150 lineups is good. Okay. But on average, they're going to be the better players. I only played 100 in, so mine don't even count to that. So I just counted the 150. That points. means you're not a good player. You didn't not play 150. Right. I'm not a good player. I'm sorry. Uh, th- the 150 matchers represented 32.9% of all lines in the contest, which is about, about normal. Uh, so they had 10,800 entries. Out of They had 56% of all the lineups on, with under five dupes. So they represent a third of the field, but they have almost they have more than half of the under fives, and they have more than half of the uniques. Okay, so their unique percent. If you just took all of their lineups and how many percent of their lineups in total were unique, nineteen percent were unique. The rest of the field combined was eight point four percent. It's and, this uh, inc- and, this, and let me tell you, this includes some 150 maxers that are not that, that there was one 150 maxer that literally had zero lineups, zero uniques, and zero under fives. That sounds yeah. And that's that's someone that if you simulate their outcomes, is a not very well. unprofitable player. <laughs> yeah. Uh and that comes from the psychology behind being of loss version. Right. Like if, if people are playing in MMA DFS and they're like, Oh, well, you know, I, I only have five lineups. So I want to give myself a chance to cash. This this applies, by the way, let let me just cut you off for a second. This applies to any format that has heavily, heavily amount of duplication. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about NBA showdown, NFL showdown, small fields, golf events, got like 
League of Legends, like anything with very smaller player pools that you could choose from. Two game and uh, MLB slates, classic mm-hmm. two game NFL slate. I mean, this this applied to the concept of uniqueness and how duplication dramatically affects your expected value doesn't just apply to MMA. It, it applies to every sport, but in the very small, you know, classic slates or showdown slates or things like that, where you could obviously run into a lot of duplicates. So, so continue. And it's, it's really important. Um, but the, this is, this is people who are entering these contests and entering these large fields. And they're saying, Oh, well, you know, I, I want to put together a lineup that gives me a chance to cash. And it's like, you're playing GPPs the wrong way. And, and the, the reason why people are playing GPPs the wrong way like that, if you're, pl- if you're not playing to win the GPP, if you're not playing to build, specifically speaking to MMA, if you're not built trying to build with lineups that are duped less than five times, if you're not trying to build lineups that have direct leverage over high, high uh, leverage players and, and high owned players, if you are not building to win that contest, you're killing your expected value over a long term. And your ROI. The you're, you're, play, you're playing unprofitably. In the long run, you're, you will You're playing unprofitably. And, and that's the point that I'm trying to make is that even if you cash in the short term, even if you cash with a lineup that is duped 10 plus times, or even if you win a GPP with a lineup that is duped 30 times, that over the long term, if you continue to play with that style, you're going to lose it all. Like you, you will not be a profitable player long-term. Uh, you have to be building in a way to where when things go your way, you make the most possible profit off of the lineups that you built. And that's why when, when Jordan is pointing these out, you know, the, the majority of the people who are one, the, the majority of the 150 players, they had 56% of all their lineups duped under five. And, and that's significantly more than the field. Right. It's because these people understand that when they're putting in these lineups, if they do not win, then their long term value is shot. You have to be thinking the same way. Even if you only build one lineup, it, it takes you 150 slates to get like 150 of those one lineups in. But you still have to be building in a way that is going to make it. So if you win with that lineup or if you do well, that the, the point is not to try to catch. The point is to win so that it makes it worthwhile when you actually do win. You're not going to win that often especially with one lineup, you have to make it count when you do end up hitting. Right. I, I'm showing here, like with the salaries, like that's one way of trying to be unique. Like if you used all of your salary on Saturday, there were 6,861 6, total lineups in the contest that used 50 K that's 21%. Out of that 20%, out of those 6861, only 2% were unique. 2%. Okay. Now, if you could play, if you could only play those lineups, congratulations. Great I job. Mean, g- great job. But if you're just saying as a bucket, like we use that marble example. I used it on the show before. All these buckets of marbles. It's like, okay, there's there's 6,800 marbles in this, in this bucket, uh, but only a uh, hundred of them are red marbles. And here's, here's a bucket uh, where there's 800 lineups and 200 are red marbles like it's easy if i were to just grab into that bucket just a handful right grab 10 in my hand i'm more likely to grab uniques out of that even though it's it's a smaller jar i could see i could even visibly see them right i could i could look and i go oh yeah there's there's 200 red marbles there i go to this this big bourbon barrel filled with 7,000 or so marbles and you go yeah there's about a hundred in there somewhere like you're probably looking you're like you may not even be able to see but you have to look closely if you're able to if you're doing anything where you're able to go with your little fingers and go I'm going to pick out just the red marbles that's one thing but if you're building if you don't have any type of process like that and you're like nope, I'm building 20 lineups. Let me just grab a handful. It's probably blunt from a blunt process standpoint to just cut out any 50,000, like just build in lineup HQ and just set the cap at 49.5 and just say, I'm not even going to buy. Yes, there are some unique lineups up there, but most of them aren't. Most of them aren't under five. But once you get down to 49.4, half of these lineups are under fives. So at worst case scenario at random, 
if you set your cap on this past slate at no 49-4 or below, and you randomly built 20 lineups, on average, you'd have 10 that are under five. And you'd have two. You'd have what? Uh, 10, you'd have like two that were unique. And you'd end up with 10, and you'd end up with 10, uh, you'd end up with eight that are over five, but not many, that only only two or three that are over 20. So like, just from a perspective of that, of like, like if you're going to take a blunt approach to building lineups, and this is for NFL showdown, NBA showdown, this is for any, like I said, it's not just MMA. For any small kind of two-game NBA nights, night slates and MLB night slates, Thanksgiving night slates for NFL. I mean, whatever the playoff slates, who knows, right? Taking a look of how could I make more unique lineups or less duplicated lineups? Don't think in terms of oh, I got to leave because I I I I lambast Neil sometimes on the Theory of DFS podcast of like setting hard caps too much. Because there are unique lineups up there and you're going to not lock yourself out. But if you don't have a process in order to do that, mm-hmm. then I understand why you're doing it more bluntly, right? I used to do it more bluntly and now I do it a little bit more nuanced. And still I'm, and hell, still I miss plenty of times in doing that. But that's the difference between G, with, we spent an entire conversation today using MMA as the context, but like I said, it applies to everything. Of the difference between K, like we talked about, James, the first half of this this championship qualifier contest, where we're playing chicken on trying to duplicate each other, literally trying to, like going, is everyone to play this? I hope people, I hope, I hope two people don't play this lineup, right? To now talking about when we're talking about a GPP, where we're avoiding, we 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 think duplication is like like the worst thing in the world. That's a cardinal sin. Right. Where people put in this line, I could probably bring this up like a lineup. Let me, let me, let me get, I, I'm not sure if they, typically people don't stack as the most owned lineup, but I'm, I, I didn't actually look at what actually was the most duplicated lineup, but let me bring this up. Okay. So most duplicated lineups. Uh, so yeah, so oh, there's Malcoon, yeah, Fialio. Oh, wow, Fialio was actually the most he ended up being the underdog in that slate. So, 265 times this is this is ridiculous. So, he played the, the two main event favorites, Fialio, two other favorites, Nah, Malcoon, and that would fit in for 50,000. Yeah, and then another 50,000, right? Here's another 50,000, 231. Isn't it's 49.8. But it's the, it's the highest owned people, and it's the highest owned. I mean, but look, but look at these lineups: two twenty six, one ninety one, one eighty, one eighty, one sixty one, one forty two, one thirty seven. Like, imagine, imagine. Uh, I believe, like, about the total. Like, what's the total prize pool? Let's just say the total prize pool in these contests. What's the total? Uh, no, that's not the wrong contest. Like it's like $350,000. Let's say we award $350,000 divided by 265. Uh, $132 is, oh no, no, 350,000. Okay. So if it splits 350,000, that lineup that's duplicated 265 times, you will get paid 1,320 bucks for winning 150 to first, 50,000 a first contest. Okay. If you play a lineup like down here, the 127, like that, you just pretty much double it. 27.55. You're paying the same price per entry as I am, as someone else is, and you're max, the max upon upload, right? As of as of 7.01 p.m. Eastern, you're dead. Your your EV is just right. It's like you could look at your lineups and go, yeah, well. Uh, these are the guys that I got. If Malcoon wins, if whatever like that, you're dreaming of your hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and then you're probably going, yeah, maybe it's duped a couple of times, and then it's duped two hundred and sixty-five times, right? And, but but what about when people win it and then they go and they're like, yeah, I took it down with two hundred and sixty-five of my friends. And you're like, 
don't you know, you know don't what I call that? Show people that you're doing that to yourself. Right. I, I, I call that broadcasting brand. your stupidity. Yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. But looking at uh, uh, just to close this out, to go back to the 150 maxer thing, like take a look. I mean, typically guys like like Brian Jester, ET Phone Home, Daladino, are pretty good at finding uniques, right? And they, yeah. like Daladino, was the highest amount of uniques, ninety eight. Hard slate right? for unique. One hundred and forty six under fives, right? That that's good. I mean, you go you go down here. Like if you look at me. Right? But look at me. 100 entries, 94 under fives. Yep. 29. But like I said, I'm not, I'm, I'm, my unique percentage was 94%. Right? Look at all the people up here. I'm, I'm towards the top of the under 5% range. Under 5%. Right? I'm 94. There aren't that many that have 90 plus. Right? I'm in the top 10 of under fives for my 100. Because that's what I that that's what I'm optimizing for. So I know I'm going to be I have less less uniques. I know I, I'm I'm perfectly aware of that. But then you go down some like these are all some of the most profitable players in MMA DFS. You're looking through. I'm I'm looking at Reform Racer, Squirrel. We have Squirrel Patrol in here, right? Dark Manaluk, OCD OCD Giant Squid. Right, some going through pretty good players there. Right, pretty pretty good players on the MMM leaderboard. Right. McLovin is a little bit closer to me. Right. Doesn't play as many. Right. Larry, Larry Odo's here with a lot of under, like Larry Odo. See, a lot of times Larry Odo is up with the uniques. Mm -hmm. Larry Odo is kind of down there with me. Right. With the amount of under fives, like more under fives than uniques. We go Cybrit, Cybrit, very similar to me also. More, more under fives than uniques, but still a ton of them. But then, you know, I, I maybe I have to start calling out people. <laughs> go down to, so let's, let's go by entry. Yeah, because we have to go by entries. Right, so 150 entries. Right, so under five dupes and here's uniques. Here's all these 150 maxers. All these, and we start going down. Big T, oh, half no. and half. Got oh, 71 no. out of 150. Okay, give them some credit. Right. Right, there's some people like Sean Zandon didn't seem to do all that well. Shrek, but decently oh, no, enough, not many unique. Yeah. Play, I, I mean, because look yeah. at the salary; the average salary is much higher. Yeah, Brick, same thing. But I mean, this is this is okay for an eleven fight card. Okay, I get it. Then you go down. There's some. I mean, when you go down to some, I mean, I mean, look, how do you have 150 lineups and only have four under fives? That's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. Under five, 11, three, 11. Right. And some of these, some of these guys are pretty good. Like Buffoon 13, I consider him a pretty good player, but on the slate, his average salary was 49, nine, 20 under fives. I like, I, I, I can't see how that's, that's profitable long-term playing mm -hmm. 150 lines. But normally on other slates, he'd be, he'd be towards the top. So, I mean, like, I don't know if there's an approach difference or just a mis just plain out mistakes. There are plenty of times that just like, dang, I, I didn't, I didn't get this right. And I paid the price. I mean, I don't know, but this is where all the edges in these types of contests, not yeah. just MMA, small feet, small selection format types of contests. Yeah. Anything you where you can be duped a lot, you got to focus on it and you just got to focus on it. Okay, and we talk about this. We talk about a bunch of this. Not, not in detail, detail, but enough. In the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports, it's a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass at theoryofdfs.com. But James, uh, coming soon, we're coming out, we're coming out with, uh, with, the, with the sequel. And people may be going like, well, how, how could, like, they're looking at what I was just looking at and going, well, how do, how do I like get to see what the dupes are in a contest and anything like that? Is Maybe maybe we can include something, uh, some Excel tools. I think we will. I think we will. Yeah, that's uh, something that might be pretty valuable, pretty good value proposition. I think uh, the time that it takes to build these things, maybe you can't build them yourself. I totally understand that. 
think some of these things are pretty difficult to build, like the, the tool that Jordan was just using to, to show his dupes, that, uh, that website where uh, you can see all the CSV stuff. Wouldn't it be cool if you had that yourself? Maybe you will. And I, I do kind of have that myself, but I'd set up you, you, whatever you make for these tools is going to be so much better than what I do. Yeah, well, <laughs> I have to do everything manually all the time. Like I'm, I'm nothing's automatic that the people are asking me questions. They're going, well, you simulate the results. It's like, dude, it's going to take me five hours to set this up. They go, how do you, what do you mean it takes five? You don't save what you have. It's like, like not really. Cause I have to line up all the columns. I have to line, I have to line everything up and change. And I'm man, I'm putting, I'm typing in people's names and numbers in. I mean, I got it. I'm not pulling stuff at, like, and people are like, well, can you run this? It's like, no, it's, this is something that, that I do every like month or two, right? Yeah. I'm going, okay, let me, let me take a look and see if I'm on, okay, if I run this, if I run that. And, and then most of the time, James, most of the time I got everything set up in about an hour or so, which is still absurdly too long. Uh, and it always, it, it, I don't think I've ever, I've ever calculated anything correctly in the first several tries. <laughs> several where where i run it and and the numbers that come out just at, don't make any sense yeah. like they're just like okay this this lineup has an roi of 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 it's giving me the scientific notations right <laughs> right it's giving me that this lineup obviously has a has as a as a, a profitability past like the entire world world's wealth that yeah. is like okay this is obviously being calculated wrong and then sometimes i get the other end of the spectrum where it's like oh Every every lineup show it by doing by con, by the contest has more has has lost more money than the contest has. <laughs> like like this, this, like okay, if you run all these line, if all these lineups were in the contest, they'd all lose. Uh, they'd all lose about three million dollars. It's like, but the contest doesn't have three million dollars in liquidity. How is that possible? <laughs> then I find out that there's some kind of some some parentheses in the wrong spot or some decimal in the wrong place. And this is why, this is why you're going to build some simple tools for some of these things. Yeah. So even I personally could have something because like th this website that I use is just like, like it costs a couple of bucks a month. It's like, this is easier than me doing it. So I'm just, I'm just going to use this. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I know it's going to be, I, I, and I know it's going to be correct. Yep. Yeah. 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 But pay dirt, pay dirt underscore DFS. Uh, you have tools and stuff there. You 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 have uh, you 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 create stuff for for your site, right? I, I do indeed create stuff for my site. I've done a lot of work on the uh, on the look and the SEO for the site over the last week, and it's really improved um, a lot of things in terms of like my viewership and and everything like that. So that's been awesome. Um, I added an MMA model. Uh, for this last weekend, I'm going to be adding PGA Showdown coming up on this next weekend as well. And um, yeah, if you uh, if you're into baseball, I post a true average report every day that is free and has been very strong. So um, that's my site. And you can obviously follow me at Pater underscore DFS on Twitter if you want to be annoyed by me marketing my site a lot. Right. There you go. Powerful projections, dedicated coaching, Pater community. You have you have the call to action buttons. I do. With benefit driven, join paid. Okay, you're doing better. It's so much better, dude. I put so much work into it after like you just roasted me on five. <laughs> I was like, I cannot continue to let him do that to me. So I, right. yeah. But, but, but it makes well, sense. I mean, you could, you could do more, but at least you're accomplishing like what it is that you do. You know, you're not putting any extraneous crap on it. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, that doesn't, that doesn't accomplish anything. Yeah. That was a big thing. And, and, Thank you for for your free consulting on uh, on putting that together. But it, it doesn't it doesn't take much for me to shit on something. <laughs> I do that I do that for nothing. Yeah, you do it for fun. So yeah, I, I, I fun. right. Okay, so follow James at Pater underscore DFS. Follow me on Twitter at Blender HD. Uh, hit that subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. No one go live. We got Grinders live later today. Going over the ten game MLB slate. Roth. And the guys will be on Crunch Time, which is free, presented by FanDuel, every night. And that's uh, that, that weather updates. I think that, that there may be a weather game or two uh, on the schedule tonight. And uh, and I'll be back tomorrow. I'll probably be playing on FanDuel tonight. But we'll be, be going over reviewing tonight's slate on tomorrow's show and talking about DFS strategy, answering your questions like I always do 
on the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com. Thank you.